0: From Gimlet, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is Without Fail, the show where I talk with artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures and what they've learned from both. Just a quick warning before we get started, this episode touches on a violent event. On the show today, I'm going to talk to someone who is locally pretty famous. She has a lot of influence on a specific group of people and their daily lives, but she isn't normally in the national spotlight. She's a person whose name you probably wouldn't have known, whose face you wouldn't have seen on TV, at least you wouldn't have, until one day this past summer, when she suddenly found herself in the middle of a tragic crisis and at the center of a national debate. My guest name is Nan Whaley. She is the mayor of Dayton, a mid-sized city in Ohio. And I talked to her about the crisis that put her in the national spotlight. But we started the conversation with why she became mayor in the first place. She told me that she's been thinking about government and what it means to have a career in public service her entire life.
1: My very first memory, actually, is being four years old and um, is the Carter-Reagan debate. And I can, like, still see the the couch is like that plaid 70s couch and my mom is sitting watching the debate and she is like, this is bad. Oh, this is so bad. She's like really upset. And I think that's why I remember it as a four-year-old because you notice when your mom's upset. Yeah. And so I said, well, what's what's bad? And she said, well, you know, Ronald Reagan's going to be president and this is bad for for, for our family. And then, you know, about a year later, my dad got laid off from General Motors. And, And so, you know, I'm like, five, six years old, he's laid off. And my mom is getting dinner on the table. And uh, she says, do you know why there's no meat on this table? And I was, you know, I was like six. I I didn't know there was, I didn't really understand meat. And uh, I said, I said, no. She's like, well, Ronald Reagan took the meat off this table. And so, you know, anything that happened in our family during the time that Reagan was president, my parents laid back to Ronald Reagan. I mean, I was so afraid of the man. Like I thought... That, like, if it rained outside, it was his fault. I mean, so my parents always have, like, connected elections to, like, why we get to do things and so—or why we can't do things. And how when someone's in office, it affects our life. And they've always—like, this is something we've we always learned. Do
0: you see it the same way that your mom did? Like, first of all, do you think she was right? Do you think you didn't have meat on the table because of Ronald Reagan? Was that true or too simplistic or, or exactly spot on?
1: I think that— Um, that Reagan's policies did affect my family. I think that's right. I think, was my mom being dramatic about the food? Yes, probably. She got a little extreme about it, I would say. But the point still stood that these elections matter to, uh, to our lives. As a kid growing up in Indiana,
0: Whaley took those lessons to heart. After graduating high school, she went to college in Dayton, started volunteering at the Democratic headquarters there, and fell in love with the city. She settled there after college, eventually became a campaign manager, then a DNC delegate, then a city commissioner. And finally, in 2013, she ran for and was elected mayor of Dayton.
1: I've been mayor now for six years. It's an amazing job. Uh, It is a very tough job. Uh, you know, I always <laughs> like the quote that Lyndon Johnson gave, you know, and you know, something like in the trials and tribulations, whenever I feel, you know, bad for how tough the presidency is, I always remind myself it could be worse. I could be a mayor, <laughs> uh, you know. Uh,
0: what, what's an example of something that's hard about being a mayor? Like what's, the, you know, just sort of in general, like what are you, what, what's a, a goal that you're trying to accomplish and what are the barriers to accomplishing that goal?
1: Well, so in the the mid-sized city role, you know, Dayton's, the city proper is about 140,000 people. Mm -hmm. So the people of the city see you regularly. They, um, you know, call you with every, literally every, you get an email or a call about every pothole or any, you know, vacant house. Like very specific, my trash didn't get picked up, you know, those kind of things. Have you literally gotten an email about potholes? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm just back and forth right now about like these uh, speed bumps and when will they be done on the street. So I mean, like three and four back and forth on it. Wait, so uh, um, over email, right now? Yeah, over email. Can yeah, you pull so up, yeah, there's. Can
0: you can you pull up the email that you like the back and forth over the speed bump?
1: Sure. Um, her. I'm pulling it up. Her original email was like, um, was not friendly. Yeah, let me see. It's from Debbie. From Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, Debbie. She, I run into her at the Legacy Pancake House regularly. So um, here, here's how it starts. Yeah, here's how it starts. So she's like, she's emailed because she's frustrated because she, you know she gets the runaround from two departments. Mm-hmm. about the speed bumps and like when the paving's happening in her neighborhood in Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those speed bumps were important to my neighborhood and were to be put in. Now I have to get a petition to make my neighborhood safe and probably have to wait two or maybe more years to even get them put in, maybe. The work of the city of Dayton makes citizens do to try to make their neighborhood safe is unacceptable. I asked about big signs. That's an ex, you know... Uh, uh, all, caps. all caps. They say all caps slow down to be posted around the neighborhood, and that request was never addressed previously. The speed limit signs are worn out and not even properly placed that they can be seen. We have a safety issue of speeding cars all around the city, and I'm trying to take care of my neighborhood and make it safer. Okay. So I write, you know, so I write to the, the staffer and you know there seems to be some concern with Mountain Vernon neighborhoods. See below. Let me know if there's anything I can do to help. So then I kind of get in a so back and forth. That.
0: So you forward that to the, to the streets, the, streets, yeah. the department of streets yeah. and San, right? Or something? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: And then I am CC'd to make sure it goes through the rest of the, you know, like that <laughs> she gets the answer. Cause I want to make sure like Debbie, anytime they've contacted me via email, I feel like, you know, I have a responsibility to make sure that this is tied up. And so I think it's the size of Dayton city that makes it, um, such an interesting challenge, you know, cause right. you wouldn't. You wouldn't email, you know, Jerry Kinney of Philadelphia and say, hey, what about the speed bump, right? Um, You know, but our size is small enough that I'll run into Debbie at Legacy Pancake House in a few weeks. And, you know, if I haven't made sure that email's okay, she's going to be really mad at me. And, you know, that's not good government. So I want to make sure that they get the service that they, they demand.
0: For most of her tenure in office, this is how Mayor Whaley's days went. Replying to emails, dealing with potholes, solving everyday problems. She loved that job, loved getting to work so closely with her community. But the smallness of the job could also be a source of frustration, because there were issues her constituents faced that she didn't have the power to solve on a local level, issues that went beyond street repairs and garbage pickup. And on issues like that, she sometimes felt ignored by officials at state or national levels. Ignored until one day, when one of the biggest national problems in our country became heartbreakingly local for Mayor Whaley. And eventually landed her in a private conversation with the most powerful elected official in the entire country. It all started early on a Sunday, August fourth, twenty
1: nineteen. At four in the morning, I have a really loud doorbell, and uh, uh, my the doorbell rings. I you know shake my husband up, and um, I, at first my thought is like, oh, somebody needs something in the neighborhood. Like that's like right. somebody got locked out. Like that's my first thought is. You know, either somebody's intoxicated and locked out of their house or somebody just needs something. Mm -hmm. So I wake Sam up and we go downstairs. I have my phone in my hand. And right as I'm opening the door, uh, there's a text that comes across from a friend, like I just saw the news. And then it dawns on me in that moment, oh, something has happened here. And uh, right when that happens, I open the door and uh, Marty Garris, who's a city attorney, is there. and And I said, what happened? And then that's when he told me that he said he said uh, nine people have been shot. There's been a mass shooting in the Oregon District,
0: and the Oregon District that's a that's a part of Dayton. Yes, what what had happened?
1: Uh, well, we learned a 24 year old white male from a Dayton suburb called Bellbrook came to uh, the Oregon District with his sister and a friend around 11 o'clock at night. And um, through the course of the night, he and his uh, sister and friend separated. And um, he left and at some point went back to his car, which was parked at the end of the block, put together um, an assault-like pistol gun uh, and went through the back of the alley, uh, which was across the street from Ned Peppers, the bar that he was targeting. And in the course of 32 seconds, uh, going towards Ned Peppers, he killed nine people and um, wounded dozens more um, some were wounded by g- gunshot wounds and th- and then others you know people ran out of their shoes and so you know there was like basically a stampede uh, luckily we had seven Dayton police officers that were always stationed in the district because it's near closing time and you know moving people along uh, and uh, you can see video where the police, in that 32 seconds, grabbed their handguns, and I think we had one rifle, maybe two rifles, uh, and came barreling toward the shooter, and they killed him.
0: What was the first thought that you? What was the first thought that went through your mind as, when you when you heard the, that news on your porch that night?
1: I think my my you know your first is like why? Mm-hmm.
0: Was there any explanation? Was there any motive?
1: Yeah, we still don't know why. And I said that the first day. I said, you know, I don't know if we'll ever know. And I really don't. You know, his sister was one of the nine victims. And, you know, half the Dayton police department thinks he shot her on purpose and half believe that he didn't even know he shot her. So I don't think um I don't think we'll really know why. I mean, this shooter has two things in common with all shooters that have happened, all these mass shootings across the country. He had access to a gun that could do an amazing amount of damage in a very small amount of time. And um, he hated women. Mm -hmm. And my first response was like, go throw on my yoga pants and get to the Oregon district. And uh, both Marty and my husband were like, "Uh, yeah, you're going to be busy all day. You should like take a shower. (laughs) We got a couple minutes here. And while I was home and getting ready, I called my staff, of course, and then the first person I actually called was John Cranley uh, in Cincinnati because I knew like he had gone through the Fountain Square shooting last year. The mayor of Cincinnati. And, yeah, yeah, and he, of course, I mean, he wasn't up at four thirty in the morning. I don't know why, uh, <laughs> but he called me right away, probably around six in the morning, and gave me just terrific advice about the first twenty-four hours. What did he say? He said, um, "Don't, don't answer." the questions nan just ask them and they like, came meant that both and like ask the questions to the police but also ask the questions like what you know when is enough enough why does this have to happen you know and, and as, as someone that likes to get stuff done mayors always want to like say well this is why this is why it happened right and you can't really answer you can't really answer the question of why it happened especially right away and so uh, just that frame was so so valuable what what is behind that impulse to reach out do you think well, I, I love mayors first of all personally, and um, you know, in the U.S. Conference of Mayors does a really great job of connecting us all. And this position, because you're the only mayor in your community, and it's such a leadership role. The only people you can really talk about that really understand the position are other mayors, and there is something so. Um, so uh, to me, when mayors reach out to me when I've, when something's happened, it, it's always meant a lot to me, It especially meant a lot during this shooting. And, um, you know, I think only John could have given me the advice that I needed. And I knew that. And so that's who was, my, that was actually my first like outside call. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like, I remember going like, okay, I've got to be as strong as possible and get through the next 24 hours because that's what you do in a crisis.
0: So Mayor Whaley set about dealing with the crisis. She tried as much as possible to set aside her own grief and anger and headed to the scene of the shooting in the Oregon district of Dayton.
1: This is a place that, you know, everybody that's been to Dayton has been to the Oregon district, you know, for dinner or something. It's, it's our it's our entertainment space of localness. And uh, to be there, standing there, there's nothing but pools of blood on the street and uh, you see, like the little placards where they have the the bullet markings, and then and then you see this like fire truck, and there's this guy in this white hazmat uniform coming to clean, and the smell of bleach is in the Oregon district. Like all these things seem so familiar, and then so not fitting. You know, the the meat is still on the taco truck. You know, and you can still see the meat. Like what? what like is this a dream? Is this? Is this where I'm at? Is this is this what is happening now? You know, surely, like surely not. You know, that's kind of that's kind of how you feel through it.
0: Yeah. So th- there's this there's all the feelings that you're having as like sort of like the mayor. How do I how do I help my community? How do I mm-hmm. I guess sort of like help the victims the best I can? Um, mm-hmm. it, is it is it one of those things where then the national spotlight is on you very quickly? Like how does that? Oh yeah. How does that happen?
1: Well, we had the first press conference at seven in the morning, and I think I did one at ten, and I did one at one, at three, at four, and I noticed the press was getting larger. I didn't realize that they were, the even the local media. I didn't realize that they were going live through all the press conferences all day, um, and I didn't, I didn't really realize that it was like so much national exposure, and uh, so I, you know I was kind of surprised and taken by Dayton getting so much attention. But I also think, you know, this could happen anywhere. And I think that's why the Dayton shooting has gotten so much attention, because, yeah, it can happen anywhere. The press
0: and attention continued that evening as well, as Mayor Whaley returned to the Oregon District for a candlelight vigil.
1: It was right on Fifth Street in the district, because I wanted to reclaim the site of uh, the shooting as quickly as possible. So they had cleaned the site, and... um, Uh, We put a stage up and like a fire truck with an American flag behind it. So the back of the stage and then people just came to 5th Street that night at 8 o'clock and they all had candles. And um, there were thousands of people. It was all the way down the street. And then uh, I spoke. But everything we faced this year, this one is especially tough. Not only because we lost members of our community, but because honestly it was avoidable. I spoke with I spoke with 61 mayors today who called recognizing I had been initiated into the unfortunate fraternity of those who had endured one of these tragedies in their own communities. Something must be done, Dayton. And then Governor DeWine spoke and that's when Governor DeWine started speaking, Mike, that... Mike DeWine is a, is a Republican governor of, of Ohio, mm-hmm. right? Um,
0: and so definitely on the opposite side of sort of like gun legislation than you right. are. Yeah. Mayor, thank you for the great job that you and your team have been doing. Uh, we are here tonight because we know that we cannot...
1: So they were just not listening. I mean, they, they, saw, uh, they saw an elected official that had not done anything on guns. That's what they saw in DeWine, and so this Do Something started coming through the crowd.
0: We care very, very deeply about you. And we will do everything that we can. Everything that we can.
1: It just overtook the whole place. And it was completely organic. I've never really experienced anything that organic. Uh, and then uh, I went to the mic and said, like, you know, there will be a time for action, but we are going to honor these people that have, have died or something to that effect. And then the calm come back to the crowd because they love their community so much. And it was it was incredibly powerful and sticks with all of us. Wow. Wow. At the end of that, how did you feel? I felt just, especially after the vigil Sunday night, Uh, just so driven uh, and and called to, you know, something must happen, something must change uh, after the Dayton shooting.
0: After the break, Mayor Nan Whaley finds herself face-to-face with someone who does have the actual power to help things change, the President of the United States. That's coming up. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Nan Whaley, Mayor of Dayton, Ohio. When we left off, Mayor Whaley was deep in the middle of the crisis facing her city, dealing with the very local effects of an issue, gun violence, that could really only be addressed on a national level in Washington, D.C. But that Sunday evening, less than 24 hours after the shooting, she received an unexpected call. The caller ID on her phone displayed a 202 number, the Washington, D.C. area code.
1: I answered the phone and it said, please hold for the president. And I held for the president. And it was maybe a four minute conversation. Um, you know, he expressed his sympathy and I said, I remember saying, Mr. President, I just don't know why anybody would need this kind of gun. I don't, I don't, I don't get why anybody would need this kind of gun. And, uh, he, uh, and he responded, well, what does Mike say? Uh, meaning Mike DeWine. And I said, well, everyone agrees that we got to get something done. They were all here and they all agree that we've got to do something. And, um, and so then he said, well, I'm coming, I'm coming to Dayton. I said, okay, um, yeah, I think I'll come Wednesday. And, um, and then that was the end of the conversation.
0: So when he called, did you know, like, okay, this is my, this might be the only time I get to talk to the sitting U.S. president about an issue that I care about. Like, was that something that was planned? I, I don't know. Like, when you said, why does anybody need this kind of gun? Talk, talk about that moment.
1: Well, I just think it was really what I was feeling. You know, I don't think it was anything. Oh, the president's going to call me. I didn't know if he was going to call me or not. I mean, you know, you don't, that, that's something you really don't know. And so, uh, and no one's giving me, given me a really good answer on why these kinds of guns are necessary in the public. Uh, and so I was really asking him, you know, why, why do we need to have this? What, what are we doing? <laughs> and, uh, and you know that's when you know his response was. I mean, it wasn't like I'm going to get to the president and I'm going to make some say something that's going to be so profound that suddenly he will make sense and do something. I just you know I just felt really compelled to say like I don't understand why we need these kind of guns.
0: Right. So tell me about like when when did you realize that like he's actually coming? Donald Trump is actually coming to visit Dayton, and and what were your thoughts?
1: So I so on Monday I I, I knew that, and then um, I think Monday night. I was like, oh, I got to figure this out. You know, he is coming, and then people in my um, in my team, like they they thought I shouldn't greet him. Um, I shouldn't go at all, even if invited. Oh, like they said, you know, like how can you how can you go and see this man who you have f- you know fought ev- you know everything he stands for? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean that. I mean, and it was. I mean, it was pain. And they were going through so much pain. Think. I mean, like this isn't in a vacuum. My staff has, you know, been working nonstop. Uh, my team has been working nonstop. And then uh, the Oregon district, the the local business owners are very progressive. And so they call me Monday. I think they called me Monday. Yeah, they called me Monday and said, we do not want him here. Okay, wow. So, you know, there's just an awful lot of emotion that you're going through. And then you have to, you know, really find what's best for the community and what's your role as mayor. And- love or hate Donald Trump, you love or hate him. And so there's no middle ground. And so what he does is he pushes a community apart. And it's like the last thing you need, right? If you're trying to keep a community together. And I'm in a county that voted like 50-50. And, you know, I mean, so it's a very even place. One of the last even places in the country. And, uh, you know... That was tough. I mean, like, you know, your community is going through uh, an enormous amount. Your community has a lot to say about this guy on both ends. And, uh, you know, you still have to represent your community. And um, I called some other mayors that night and said, what do you think? You know, and all of them were like, oh, yeah, you have to go. And so, yeah, I you know, I said, nope, I'm going to go. I'm going to fight hard for him not to go to the Oregon district. But it's my, I have a duty as the mayor to greet the president when he comes to Dayton.
0: So, Mayor Whaley worked with her community and other local politicians to prepare for President Trump's visit to Dayton. And on the morning of Wednesday, August 7th, the moment finally arrived. President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump landed in Dayton, Ohio. And with the world watching and Democratic Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown by her side, Mayor Whaley went to greet them. She was finally going to get her chance to talk to President Trump in person and she hoped to use the opportunity to get him to take some action on gun control.
1: When he came off the tarmac, uh, I said, Mr. President, welcome to Dayton. The people of Dayton are hanging, are hungry for action, and I know you are a person of action. And uh, he said, you'll like what you see.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, um, you know, he did what a president should do. Uh, you know, he went to see the victims, and he was well-received. And I, and I like, again, I mean, my uh, position to, on... On his visit was like where could he give the most value, and so that's an that's a more appropriate place for him to go rather than a place that doesn't want to see him. Mm-hmm. And the victims were excited to see him, and you know he was he was um um well liked and um well loved in these in these places, and um that was good. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you know? I mean, the president has such a specific image sort of like publicly and on Twitter and like did meeting him in person I don't know did he seem was it the same different like you know compare and contrast sort of his Twitter persona versus what
1: you saw in person oh yeah he was he was the same in person I remember this wild thing he did was we're in the victim's room and it was Nicole and she had a gunshot wound to the head. And so Sherrod and I are kind of hanging back. I mean, I've already met Nicole. I know mean, their parents, family are really excited to meet to meet the president. And so, you know, they, they've already seen me. They don't even see me. I'm just hanging back. And all of a sudden the president hollers, hey, Sherrod, hey, Nan. And uh, we come up to the bed and he points to all our family members and says, do you see these people? They all used to be Democrats until me. Like, that's just a strange interaction, you know? Everything was strange. Mayor Whaley
0: and Senator Sherrod Brown wanted to make the most of this opportunity with the president to maybe do the thing that the people of Dayton had been asking for at the vigil, get the president to try and do something. Problem was, President Trump was only scheduled to be in Dayton for a few hours, and their window was closing fast. After visiting the victims, they went with the president to meet with first responders, where President Trump talked about inviting them to the White House for an award ceremony. And that was the last event of the president's visit. And so Mayor Whaley and Senator Brown made their move.
1: Towards the end of it, after we had seen the first responders, it was uh, Sherrod and the governor and Senator Portman and myself were like kind of in this and with uh, some of the staff in a circle there at, in the hallway and um, Sherrod pivoted to the assault weapon ban. And said, "You know, really, you know, Mr. President, this this ban, you could you could get this ban, and then we wouldn't have this problem." And he said, "Well, Sherrod, why don't we have the ban?" And he said, "Well, because you know, the, the you know, Obama couldn't get the votes. The votes couldn't he couldn't get the votes." And I said, uh, "That's right, Mr. President. You could do something that Obama couldn't get done. Like this would be great." And he kind of looked around at DeWine and Portman. I said, and even the governor voted for the assault weapon ban when he was in the Senate. And uh, the governor kind of like shrugged and was like, "Yeah, that's true." <laughs> and uh, uh, then he he pivoted back to his awards. And Senator Brown said, "You know, the best award you could give these police officers is getting these guns off the streets, so they don't have to fight them." And that just, I think, that was it for him. And he left.
0: Wow, what what do you mean he left? Like in a, in in a?
1: He just walked away, like just kind of looked at us and walked away.
0: Was that, how did, wh- how did what did you make of that?
1: Um, I don't pretend to understand him. I felt like, um, uh, you know, this, this work is, you know, a cross between just, I mean, I, I almost call it like a, a bumblebee effort, right? Like you just swarm any way you can on guns and see what can move at what time and how fast can you just move any which way. Uh, And you just hope that some, you know, some normalcy prevails by doing that. After the break, I talk with Mayor Whaley about what she makes exactly of that moment in the spotlight with
0: President Trump. It's coming up. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Mayor Nan Whaley. During President Trump's brief trip to Dayton, Mayor Whaley navigated a difficult course. She tried to strike a balance between the personal and the political, comforting victims and thanking first responders on the one hand, and advocating for gun reform on the other. And after the president's whirlwind visit, she dove right back into managing the crisis, briefing the press. And it wasn't until later that she could begin to process what had happened that day and what it all meant. This was like such a—so sort of like in—like in, with basically a week— um, you're, four days, they, yeah. Yeah, this is four days. Your the your city goes through this this horrible tragedy. You're sort of like all of a sudden find yourself in the national spotlight, and then um, spending a day with um, the most, I mean, powerful know, man in
1: the world. Powerful
0: yeah. man in the world. And and what did I don't know. Like, what do you make of that that experience now? Did, did, do you have any takeaways from it?
1: <sighs> I, I have to be honest. I get really sad when I think about this this guy is more interested in how he's received rather than what he can do. Um yeah, so I I like I have a really hard time with it, like just just thinking about it and thinking how just how uninterested people are and like making sure something like Dayton never happens again. And um and I mean it, it, it does. It makes it hard some days to do the work. And you know what? What I find is, if you can keep the conversation local, the better off you are. If you can, if then if you can't do local, state, but then more and more it's getting worse and worse statewide um, because of national pushes. And then if it's national, like there is no incentive to govern. And um, you know, frankly, uh, you know what I see is. Uh, on both sides, if you govern, you lose. Does it does it feel like that? Because because what you're describing is basically
0: a different set of incentives on a national level and on a local no- level. And sort of the incentives are, if the other side benefits in any way, then we have to be against.
1: Right. That's I think the that's right. But so it, do nothing. Right. So
0: do, so do nothing. Don't like even if it's something that like per, there's pretty broad agreement on, such as an assault weapon ban. Um, right. There. That's the thing that's perplexing, right? Like it's. I, I think isn't the polling on that like most people are.
1: Yeah, most people support assault weapon ban, and nine out of ten support a background check. And and nine yet, out of ten. Nine yet, out of ten. <gasps> Like, 9 out of 10 Ohioans don't even like the Buckeyes. I mean, right. it's it's an insane number of people agreeing on something.
0: <laughs> the local Ohio State University team for this, not from Ohio, right. who are listening. Yes. Uh, right. And so, like, 9 out of 10. So the question is, like, how can that be? If, like, 9 out of 10 Americans support this thing, how is it still not happening? How can we not even right. do a thing that, like, the, the, the you know, 90% of the country
1: wants us to do? Right. There is incentive for inaction, not cooperation. And that's the opposite in local, right? The incentive is to take care of the problem, to get it done, to move on, to figure a win. And you know, we constantly are like, you know, from labor negotiations to economic development deals to to paving a street. It's like, where's the win-win? How's the win-win? Where's the win-win? And and so when you're doing that and then you look up and see what happens state and nationally on no, it's a zero sum game. Um, you you're just exasperated by it, right? Yeah.
0: Why is it easier on a local level?
1: I think you have to you know people very personally, and you have to uh, look people in the eye every day. I think I think too, the government that's local is the one that actually affects your day to day life in a in a more more regular way. You know, it's a real annoying fact if your water doesn't work or you know, your water's not safe or you you can't get out of your house because the snow's not plowed or... And you've got people (laughs) emailing you about speed bumps like you can't... Inaction is not an option. No. I mean, could you imagine hiding? You know, I just went and got my hair done. Uh, The lady that does my hair... Said so somebody else, you know. Of course, everyone knows who does my hair in town. And uh, she said, "Oh yes, someone came." And she said, "Hey, you talk to the mayor. I have this issue. I mean, I've emailed her, but I want you to tell her too. You know. So you know, they even you know lobby your um, your hairstylists in this town. There is no getting away, no matter where you go. And uh, that's the job of of mayor, frankly. And I love it. Like, I mean, I'm not like I love it. I think that that's why it makes us." Uh, uh, such a special place in, uh, in government and such a special place in, in the world of politics.
0: Mayor Whaley is continuing to tell the story of what happened in Dayton to lawmakers in the nation's capital. On the day after President Trump's visit, she and over 200 other mayors sent a letter to Senate leaders Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer. In it, they urged the Senate to take action on gun safety legislation that had already passed in the House. And this past September, Mayor Whaley called for stricter gun laws in testimony before the House Judiciary Committee. Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Molly Messick, Rob Zipko, and Hibba El-Arbani. is edited by me and Devin Taylor, mixing by Keegan Zemma, and music by Bobby Lord. If you like Without Fail, please follow us. You can get every episode for free through Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.